So, uh, Krishna, you're 14 yes, years ma'am. old. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Achha. I'm going to read out some words. Yes, ye batao, ye, okay. Are male words or female words? Are women or men? Ko lagte okay, ma'am. And we'll do it very quickly. It's a funny question. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes, ma'am. Ready? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Chalo. Strong. Strong, ma'am. Uh, ko lagta hai, ma'am. Achha, don't think too much. Okay. Okay, ma'am. Gentle. Gentle. Uh, both. Sports. Sports. Uh, boys. Loving. Loving. Um, female. Powerful. Both, ma'am. Both. Emotional. Ma'am, both. Dominant. Dominant, both, both, ma'am. Independent. Independent, ma'am, boys. Provider. Provider, ma'am, both. Beautiful. Beautiful, uh, both, ma'am. Leader. Leader, ma'am, both. Caring. Caring, ma'am, girls. Adventurous. Adventurous, ma'am, uh... Ma'am both. Thank you. Krishna comes from a lower income family. His answers are open, thoughtful and not completely gender stereotyped. Why is he so different from the middle and upper class boys we interviewed? This is Deepa Narayan, social science researcher and host of What's a Man podcast in which I explore masculinity based on interviews with over 250 educated middle and upper class boys and men in Delhi, Mumbai and other cities as well and with special guests. My goal is simple, to open up the conversation about men and masculinity in a non-judgmental way with compassion and deep listening. Engage with us. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Hubhopper, Apple, Spotify. Starting from age 3 to 18 years, our most impressionable ages, we spend five days a week in temples of learning, our schools. These places of learning are also powerful cultural spaces occupied by educators, principals and teachers, all of whom are also cultural creatures. And each of them brings their own values, prejudices and stereotypes about how boys should behave in schools. Instead of examining and breaking down their own gender stereotypes, schools cement gender stereotyping of boys along very traditional behaviors. Yet we've ignored this role of schools. Schools literally mold boys. And after 14 to 15 years in schools, boys should emerge with an expanded sense of self, an expanded set of possibilities as whole human beings, deeply secure in themselves. But even in our quest for gender equality, we've forgotten boys. Our approach to gender equality is one-legged. It focuses only on girls and women. 
In this episode, I start with Rohini Nilakani, a philanthropist because she supports programs that address boys, men and masculinity. I then explore one gender intervention program for boys called Gender Lab, the program that Krishna attended in his school in Mumbai. I speak to Akshat Singhal, co-founder of Gender Lab, and end with three 13 to 14-year-old boys who participated in this program. I dislike the term toxic masculinity. It feels poisonous, but perhaps it does serve a purpose. It wakes us up to the fact that many of the ways we raise our boys is poisonous. For most of us, it's just normal. It's just how boys are raised. Toxic masculinity has at least four features. Boys and men are entitled. They have privileges. Anger is expected and tolerated. Violence is expressed, whether it's bullying, physical or other forms of assault. No other emotions are allowed. They're considered weak. Never be scared. Don't ask for help. Always be strong, tough and self-sufficient. Does this sound scarily familiar? The question really is, can boys unlearn these behaviors in schools? Let's look at schools for a minute. Bullying among boys is common even in expensive boarding schools. Teachers regularly consider boys to be more disrespectful, disobedient, disruptive, so they get punished more regularly. Schools actually don't fit boys very well. Schools are designed for kids who can sit still quietly for long periods without fidgeting and without getting bored. And schools perpetuate the stereotype that boys and girls are unsafe for each other. This leads to denial of sexuality and bodies and the practice of segregation of girls and boys in schools. I felt very bad. This is not uh, fair that girls and boys cannot talk to each other. Uh, they can talk to each other but uh, like they are they are they were scolded for that this I felt very bad. I have seen like many like uh, students like even if they go and they don't even like talk to girls because like they feel very pressure and like they feel they feel like they will be like get embarrassed or girls or the teachers or anyone will suspect them so they don't talk to them which also uh, uh like they uh, they make a this very makes a very uh, big and very like gap of communication and among the classmates what's a man masculinity podcast in india by deepana rain our partners are hub hopper the gender lab who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness chup circles safe spaces for conversation and youth ki awaaz the largest online platform for youth voices this podcast is supported by the american center new delhi the opinions presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the american center or the us government A few brave women and men are reaching out to men and boys to create a more just, equal and loving world. My first guest is Rohini Nilakhani, a writer, author and philanthropist involved in many foundations, including her own, the Argyan Foundation. And I was a great supporter of boys and men's programs. I caught up with her on a Sunday morning in her Bangalore home. love for you to talk to me a little bit about why did you start working and supporting programs that uh, generate conversations with boys and men and hopefully change 
Um, yeah, thank you. So actually, in all the work um, that I was uh, engaged in, uh, one was going into the field a lot. And um, But as we were talking to women a lot and understanding uh, their situation and their uh, desire to, to, to create a more level playing field in many ways, I kept encountering young males, usually young males. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would also get into conversations with them. And so many incidences kept piling up. And you could see pain in their faces and eyes. And some of those things stayed with me. And once I met a little boy on the roadside, just on the roadside, and he was crying loudly. And a girl was with him, who turned out to be his sister. I stopped the car because I didn't know whether he needed help. And he was only crying because he had done sterlingly well in his 10 standard exams and he wanted to go to college and his father said no way because he'd got him a public sector job in the road transport division and those tears uh, somehow I don't know they broke something in me as well so then I began to wonder then there was another incident where we were with as I said in microfinance so many SAGs have turned the lives of 60 million women in India changed it in some small way there's a support system there's a safe space yeah. but when I would ask my teams why don't we have self-help groups for men they say oh men can't gather in groups like that they don't trust they don't share and they can't you can't do that for men and I said, why not? True. They need it too. <laughs> so there, then I began to say, what is a safe space for men? What is a exactly. safe grouping for mm-hmm. men where they can share without being ashamed or mm-hmm. without being shamed? I knew a lot of people who were working with women, but yeah. who's working with young men and boys? Yeah. And then one or two names came Great up. Great question. And so it, yeah. became, it became a portfolio now. And mm-hmm. we started some three, four years ago. From one organization, now we have 15. Why do you think it's taken so long for people in the development sector for us to wake up to the reality that men were being bypassed and that women's empowerment would be limited unless we work with men as well? I think because, especially in India, the situation of women in the modern, I mean, in this uh last century has been so tough yeah so really so bad that i guess the first priority was to look at what's happening to um, girls and women right i mean just every norm seemed to be needing to be changed obviously one realizes that even when you so-called empower women they go back if they're going back into disempowered situations with the males and women around them then they somehow bump up against two terrible choices. One is to rebel with all the risks attached to rebellion or two is to acquiesce so that all the empowerment has to be left behind. And those are not good choices. So then once you start looking at that saying, what is stopping that? Then you sort of bump into the men. Yeah, exactly right. What impressed you in terms of effective approaches? First of all, just having conversations to being allowed to say things and without being judged. Um, Even being judged for being male in the old-fashioned way. If you judge them for that, then you cannot have the next conversation. Rohini, any other blind spots in this area of women's empowerment and men? Again, I'm not trying to judge, but I'm just trying to open a conversation. Whether we can look at our own gaze, where are we not looking? 
Mm-hmm. And what are we afraid of by looking there? Even mm-hmm. we can emulate uh, success as masculinity. So sometimes I find myself being so aggressive, right? Yeah. Because we have decided that success is about being powerful, aggressive, and dominant. Yeah. So, so always being aware of all those things in ourselves and around us. I think that's what I mean by being aware of where we are looking and where we are not looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so being more, a little more interested in not looking away. Rohini, what you're saying is that it's important to look within as we look outwards, right? I think in any work, if we're vulnerable, we learn. It then becomes a personal growth story, almost a spiritual journey, because when we let go of power or when we go to power or unkind, if we can acknowledge our mistakes, the world starts to change. And we feel more coherent and more connected on the inside. So work can be a space for growth at multiple levels. I agree completely. Rohini, what are your worries? There is uh, there's also kind of backlash, right, against... Uh, uh, because people are a little bit afraid. So we've also seen in India a bit of a backlash against... Uh, uh, men are becoming a little scared or nervous about women's power, I feel. Yeah. Don't mistake me, yeah. I'm not saying it. But um, so we need to also look at complementary public policy and public finance going towards um, uh, making uh, uh, young males also feel that they can move forward. There, uh, uh, yes, they have lots of power and privilege, I'm not challenging that. But they are watching their sisters being able to make interesting career choices while they are trapped in having to do a certain kind of work, a certain kind of job. Um, so there's a kind of little a backlash and maybe it's global. So we need to be very wary of that, I feel. Mm-hmm. We can go to dangerous places. It's a tough challenge and I think it's time for innovation and doing things yeah. differently. One of the keys to that before we uh, close, Deepa, maybe that mm-hmm. how can we learn to occupy the grays between the blacks and the whites, <laughs> whether it's gender or politics or anything else. There's so many rich nuances of gray um, and such a broad spectrum yeah. that we should not be afraid to occupy those spaces between the polar- polarities yeah. because all the richness and nuance is there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where the freedom the freedom, the freedom lies, right? Finding yourself and finding your place in between there rather than feeling trapped in what and freedom you think. tied. When you when you accept freedom, you also accept responsibility for other people's freedoms. Because mm-hmm. if you believe in your own freedom, then you have to believe in other people's freedom as well. And when it comes to gender, that actually means that if you want freedom in your gender, then other genders want it too. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Namaste. Thank you Namaste. for doing this. <laughs> My next guest is Akshat Singhal, who together with Ayushi Banerjee is co-founder of the Gender Lab. They first started an adolescent girls leadership program and over time realized that their approach was one-legged. They then created a boys program to talk about masculinity and the negative effects of patriarchy on boys. Why we end up doing what we do, to some extent, will always remain a mystery. 
there's usually something in our families and in our early experiences that eventually leads us to our purpose, what we want to do with our lives, what we end up doing with our lives. Thank you for agreeing to talk with me. So what do you like about yourself? I, I think what I like <laughs> about myself is definitely this look that I carry. I mean, as a, if I start from physical look, I, I really feel very comfortable in, in beard and long hair. And it's been now since last four to five years and I love carrying it. And also what I like about myself is also that I'm a person who's empathetic, who, who listens deeply to people, who, who cares for people. I, I just love a sport, so I I, I guess um, that's that's what I love about myself. Since we're talking about masculinity and you work on issues around masculinity, let's go back to your childhood. When did you first become aware that you were a boy and not a girl? <laughs> yeah. So th- this is a this is a question that we also end up asking our um, uh, you know in our workshops, and I end up wondering what is my earliest memory of that of myself as well and so this is what my mom tells me uh, that when I was about I guess six years old until then I used to always say Ki main ja rahi hun, main rahi hun. I would talk like that at home but and you have six sisters yes I'm sure yeah this is so interesting Akshat I was growing up with uh, a woman at my home and I would, I think I picked up saying this to myself that I am yeah. and then suddenly I told my mom one day and I'm like, uh, that, maybe that made me realize I'm also doing the same thing and it just shifted me, uh, shifted the way I look at uh, myself. But I think uh, uh, apart from that, the earliest memory that I would have is when I could think of the way I've been dressed and my sisters are being dressed, right? And um, I think those different... So what was the difference? Like I would wear shorts and t-shirts, whereas my sisters would wear a Punjabi suit. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think think those are the earlier earlier references and also the way others call you, right? I mean, the way others treat you and they call you, I think that makes a lot of difference in the understanding of your own self and your own identity. So I think that shaped a lot of identity for me while I was growing up privilege of playing outside most of the time I would play for eight to ten hours a day and just come home eat and go and or I I would go to school and come back so um, I think uh, and even even the fact that I got to be in an English medium school apart from my another sister rest of them had to be in Hindi medium school did you feel that yeah I mean I I was really cared for, loved and uh, totally pampered. I mean, there's no doubt about that because I I keep saying that, you know, my sisters are the ones who have actually invested in me, taken care of me. And also my, like my, my elder two sisters, eldest most two sisters are actually, they they played a role of mother to me as well. So so it's, um, yeah, I I grew up with them and uh, I think they had a huge influence in my life. I, in fact, wonder that on Bandhan, I end up tying Rakhi to them as a protector, but it's actually reverse. You know, I mean, my sisters have protected me throughout my life, so yeah. and taken yeah. care of me. So yeah, totally yeah. love. Are you still close to them? Absolutely. And what were the conversations with your father like? Did you have many conversations? What were his expectations of you? 
Deepak, I come from a, a family of Banya community. Banyas are, uh, I mean, we are from North India and Banyas are traditionally being traders, people who run their own businesses. And I think that there was an implicit assumption that I will also grow up to uh, run a big business or earn a lot of money. So make it big. And like post my graduation, I was working with um, crossword bookstores, a retail bookshop. Um, and yeah. that's where I was earning a, about four, four and a half thousand per month. And my father was really upset about the fact that I'm working at a place where I'm just earning this much. So he, he made me, um, you know, leave that job. And he's like, why you, tum ye kyu kar rahe ho? Tumko apna kuch karna ya kuch aur karo. you know, a battle at home. And I had to like, then I left that job and I joined his business, tried working with him for two months months he himself realized that this kind of business is not going to work for me but something else needs to happen and and that that was a point when I told myself I need to live my life on my own terms whatever I do whatever mistakes I make let me do it myself I don't want to um, do what my parents wish from me and later on regret and rather I pursue my own dreams so I think that was a big moment for me and Akshat, when things did not work out with your father, what happened? What happened after that? What did you do? So I, I would say life-changing year for me, 2005, yeah. when I was doing almost nothing, but really going deeper into my own self, into understanding what I really want out of this life. Yeah. And what did you come up with? That's unusual at that age, right? I was also going deeper into my own self to understand what is it that w- that would work for me and who am I? I mean, just asking that question, wh- where am I going from here? And so this movie had got released. Uh, so when yeah. we talk about popular well, culture and influence of popular culture, I yeah. al- always bring that in because so this had a big re- uh, influence in on my life. I watched it about 17 times and I think... Okay, of- tell, tell me, just summarize Swadesh so people understand. It, I, it's a beautiful movie. Yes. Go uh, ahead. So this was, uh, it was totally based on this character, Mohan Bhargav, played by Shah Rukh Khan, who's an NRI and comes back to India. And uh, NASA. Yeah, and he's he's working at NASA and he's coming, he comes to India to meet his uh, caretaker mom, like, and who he believes as, as, as equal as a mother. So he went, he goes to find her and in that process, he finds himself and his calling. And he shifted yeah. to India to really bring social change here. So I was like, okay, now I need to think of changing this world. And few of us bonded over that movie online and we found each other and we still um, to talk about what is happening in India. So it, in, in fact, that movie was then it playing in background for me. I mean, Absolutely. I think it has huge impact. And I remember seeing Sudesh so much and you just sort of, it gets you standing up straight and wanting to do something. And Absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely. And so from there, how did all this lead up to your current work with Gender Lab, where you've been working with boys to wake them up to their own gender prejudices about themselves and others too? When I went off to do my MBA uh, in Goa and economy got opened up and okay, I couldn't pursue my sports, but I need to really um, make it big when it comes to business. Uh, I guess um, all of these came together at certain point in 2005 and made me realize that no, my calling is social sector. 
On his return to Mumbai, Akshat started working with youth and eventually Ayushi and Akshat founded Gender Lab. Can you explain a little bit about the boys school programs and why schools? For us it was important to start with schools because we were anyway working in schools. Anyway, we were working with adolescent girls and I think uh, when I look back in my own life and I, f- I, I say, I, I really feel during my adolescence, if somebody would have come and spoken to me about my own attraction, about my own sexuality, about my uh, uh, privileges or expectations from me and how this entire patriarchal system uh, expects me to be a, in a certain way. I think I would have been a different person. I wouldn't have had to go through uh, certain experiences in my life, which I went through. So I, I, I think uh, that reference also helped. And, and that's how it's, I feel it's important that we start very early. In fact, we work with 14, 13 to 14 year old, but I, I would say even starting earlier is even better uh, with boys because our gender norms start to form very early in about, I think about at four to five itself, they start to shape up. And, and, um, and that's how we started this program with uh, boys in eighth grade. And it was structured around service learning format, which is basically... Uh, getting boys to go through a classroom learning experience, but at the same time, take it to their own communities and solve community problems uh, based in that uh, program uh, context. Akshat, I would love to know a little bit about how you actually work with boys in Gender Lab. What do you actually do? As a part of the Gender Lab Boys program, what we essentially do is try to create a safe space for boys uh, to be themselves and to be able to talk to them uh, with respect to how patriarchy in itself uh, can impact boys, like how how boys themselves are also victim of patriarchy while they have privileges through that system. It's a 20 hours program where we talk about different aspects. Uh, We'll start with understanding what is sex and gender. We move towards understanding masculinity, the idea of mardangi and what is it to be a boy and how it leads to certain rigid notions that how uh, the society expects you to be in a certain way and how it is connected to violence. And we talk about different topics with the boys uh, to be able to build critical thinking uh, by the end of it and uh, for them to be able to start questioning uh, the messages that they receive from different spaces. Um, um, because while we were building this program, we got got through this research done by Dasra and realized that how there are four sources that shape the notions of masculinity. One is school, family, society and uh, media. And you were, mm-hmm. while you were in the school setting and school themselves, uh, are are very patriarchal institutions themselves, right? I mean, they they have. A, what does that mean? What does that mean? Deepa, the way uh, schools are designed, the school system is designed. It is designed on a very control-based system and a very discipline-based system where um, where girls and boys are treated differently. Although it it's a coeds. Uh, school for example in some of our schools we have seen the kind of roles given to girls or boys are different like girls would be asked to draw rangoli and painting while boys will be asked to move benches and do very physical kind of work boys will get access to 
playing sports while girls won't get access to representing their school it, even as a part of the punishment boys will be beaten up unapologetically i mean without even thinking that it's illegal i mean it's as a part of like corporal punishment is not allowed but um while while it's also assumed that girls are you know uh, girls can be given punishment in a different way and boys are hard tough and it's like even parents would assume that you need to beat the boys and so that cycle constantly continues and the way boys become and they started to like uh the way expectations from them start to happen i think uh, i think that leads to a lot of um rigid notions of masculinity and so there's a lot of like anger that gets built up like when we open up the space and talk to boys and they'll be like why is it that we are beaten up and not girls and why is it that we are always punished although we haven't done anything so i think there's a certain assumption that we operate with when it comes to uh boys and girls in a school setting itself so so as a part of, have you talked to teachers about this yes i mean uh, we do talk to so as a part of a teachers program and engaging teachers we bring up uh, these very issues and um and i think uh, we do understand where teachers come from and where uh, how it's not easy for them to be able to deal with because in a class a group of students can also a uh, lead you to that point of violence you know i mean where you are like you don't know how to deal with it anymore without getting angry without beating them up so i think that's that's what the system does and and that's why we need to engage with teachers to understand what's what are their issues and how can we talk to them and uh what are the new possibilities that can emerge like in one of the schools one teacher said uh after the workshop that she she's now started to experiment at how like can she get girls to lift benches and also like not not just go from that frame in a school where we saw a group of boys so one of our group of boys took up a project on corporal punishment and uh, so we went to the principal with the group and uh, they talked about the problem the way teachers treat boys and principal had a conversation with teachers and and after and after that this stopped uh uh, uh treating boys differently or like beating them up bravo but <laughs> that's a huge achievement yeah but what it led to was a lot of anger within teachers so it was important for us to have that conversation with teachers and and did you have that conversation with teachers sir? yeah that's As very a part important. of our, yeah. our, our teachers workshop um we had that conversation and similarly boys would take up projects around bullying uh within the school because how certain boys start to feel that bullying is their you know it's a sense of entitlement it comes from that sense of entitlement of being a bully and so they would talk about bullying in a very creative way using a puppet show and um, or taking up a project on sexual harassment in their community uh, so what happens is when they do up these kind of projects uh the parents and schools start to feel uh, uh some kind of uh, uncomfortableness because uh, they're course. moving out yeah. of their existing comfort zones and we are asking them to take up really bold steps and ask big questions um so that's where uh, that's where the program faces backlash that's where you see a principal starting to say no to it because now they're experiencing the program when they say yes to the program they haven't experienced it Right. but the moment yeah. their boys <laughs> and true. girls will start yeah. asking them questions and doing things they're like no we don't want this yeah. we are asking 
tough questions we are not sitting with easy answers brave questions do stir things up i wondered about impact while the publish research in india is just growing it focuses mostly on girls large case control research study of over 300 schools in haryana shows that the gender intervention by the organization breakthrough india changed boys behaviors even more than girls behaviors because boys have more freedom to change it's hard to believe that a 20 hour program would have any impact or that boys would remember anything after a year but they clearly do while we spoke to principals and teachers it was the boys who had attended the training over a year ago who i found the most compelling the boys identified core dimensions of toxic masculinity obviously without using that term that they said had changed in themselves and they gave everyday examples they spoke about not acting entitled at home by helping out reduce fighting managing anger expressing emotions having more conversations at home talking more speaking up and becoming positive agents of change in their own communities listen to three boys who'd been part of this training one to two years ago Muzamil is a 14 year old and studies Stanislaus. I want to talk a little bit about Gender Lab. What changes do you see in yourself as a result of all this? Yeah, yeah. I helped a lot now in my housework. And wonderful. Have your parents or your mother noticed changes in you? Has she ever said anything? Yeah, she said you are now very good be like this don't be changed follow good things don't be become like others get involved in bad things and all uh, we were also talking about emotions yeah can you talk a little bit about what emotions you find easy to deal with and what you have difficulty with sometimes i get angry when i'm injured yeah in the game by playing mood swings and all yeah so so uh, how do you deal with your anger i just don't talk to every anyone hmm. i just talk to myself in mirror and i get my anger out of myself so what do you say can you give me an example that's beautiful yeah i say like you should do agar if i made a mistake mujhmel don't do that next time this should not happen with you or you don't do this some, to someone else and like that i make i do make myself calm mm. my sister also help me a lot but sometimes if i'm alone i do this it helps me a lot you should share this more often because that's a beautiful way of calming yourself down Yeah, motivating because, yourself yeah because every i mean we are human beings we will get angry <laughs> right but it's what we do with that anger yeah yeah great any uh, message from you to men control your emotions feelings and don't look any girl by the, those bad eyes you know you you know what i mean and they are sisters or daughter or someone beautiful thank you mazamil that was just Thanks, lovely talking to you thank you thank so you, much bye 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 ma'am bye 
I was surprised how much the boys spoke about managing anger. One of the most fundamental issues related to gender violence we don't talk about is how boys' anger is expected and tolerated in many homes, but it is stamped out in girls as ungirly. Uncontrolled anger, the high octave energy of anger, uncontrolled rage leads to abuse, especially when it is encased in a sense of entitlement. My uncle is 13 years old and goes to Vidya in child school, which he loves. He speaks of anger, violence, bodies and more. He too attended gender lab over a year ago when he was 12. Like Muzamil, he carries his video on a pen drive ready to show it to anyone. He wants to spread the message he learned at gender lab through social media. I asked him for evidence of change within his family and outside. How have you changed? It was some months ago when my father came to me and said something about transgenders in Hindi, I told him not to say that because they are also human beings. They have right. We should respect them. We They are also like us. And we should talk to them respectfully. Mm-hmm. What was his reaction? My, my father, he agrees. He don't disagree. He says, yes, you are right. And thank you for telling. He says something like that. And I will take care of it. How wonderful. How did that make you feel? Um, I feel very proud. Mm-hmm. And I also feel very thanks, thankful to Alina, ma'am, and yeah. the gender lab team. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, last year, we we were divided into groups and our topic was violence. My whole team get to the class of 5th and 6th, both section of 5th. And we we do some kind of role plays and a little bit of speech. Not a speech, but yes, we asked children to answer us. And I think they know about violence, especially boys. They should control violence. They should be able to manage their anger. Why is managing anger so important? Now, first of all, what is anger? Anger is a emotion which came to us and it's natural. But you should be able to manage it. You should never express it physically and not even in your mind. But now let me take an example. Think I'm playing cricket. I'm the batsman. The baller did a ball which came to my helmet and I fall. And if that is intentionally, I will naturally get angry on him. Maybe a little bit of shouting will be there. But I should never fight to him. I should reply him with my bat. That would be the best answer. You should reply with your bat. Bat. Okay. You mean hit the ball hard. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. And how have you changed? Ma'am, to be honest, I'm not means that, but ma'am, before the session, ma'am, I was really angry and I claim that I was really angry. Ma'am, once I was so angry, I threw my bag and ma'am, uh, I don't remember what happened, but yes, I was really angry. But now I know how to manage my anger. I know how to manage violence and also the way of seeing transgenders have has changed. Also, ma'am, stereotype. Ma'am, stereotypes means girls will like pink and yellow color. Girls will play with dolls. Girls are emotional. Girls are weak. And girls 
cannot do something very much physically in sports and men's men's are strong they have to they have to help their family financially and they have to take responsibilities if each of us changes the thought of the family as i did then i think many of the work is done ghar pe any behaviors any changes that you see or any conversations baatein hui tumhare family mein that you introduced or that you challenged there was a certificate given to me by the gender lab when i bring that home then my my mother asked that what is this for then i told her that it was a it was a workshop and we talk about several topics we know a lot about violence we know a lot about sex we know a lot about gender we know a lot about transgender and what was her reaction she was really proud of me mm. she says you should be a part of this now in the last few minutes i just want to talk a little bit about bodies has there been any conversation or education about your body as a boy or as as your changes going through in puberty do you like your body <laughs> yes ma'am 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 i think everyone should like his body yeah racism doesn't yeah yes ma'am okay what do you like about your body everything but why should i hate my body <laughs> did you hate your body at any time no ma'am no. i think first of all i have to love myself then the world will love myself what a nice way to end thank you so much maya that was just thank beautiful you, talking to you i started with krishna i want to end with krishna who a year after gender lab has become a passionate advocate about gender change and changing the world i was also a part of bad society i also discriminate i was also abusing someone i was also bullying someone but after the program it changed me a lot and uh, it just teached me the uh, importance of uh, the importance of equality Mm-hmm. and it just teaches me that how much bullying and discrimination hurts so we'll make an association to uh, which will help women not by making women's perfect but by making men's perfect and what will they do how will you do that we'll uh, go to small areas like this uh, our society trilokpuri small gullies and uh, we'll uh, make a stage and we'll uh, 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 do a short seminar not of 2 uh, hours or 3 hours but of half an hour 45 minutes so we'll do a short seminar and we'll explain some tricks some games how uh, from which how uh, how to control hum unhe kuch na kuch aise tricks bata denge to control their anger Schools can and must liberate boys from narrowly defined behaviors of what it means to be a boy that perpetuate a cycle of unhappy gender inequality, anger and missed potential. If a 20-hour gender intervention with boys, a program that is by no means perfect, can make such dramatic changes in thinking and behaviors and give boys such courage to speak up to community leaders, to principals, 
It just means that change can happen pretty quickly. 14-year-old Krishna wants his community to change now. We don't have to wait another 250 years. We can uncover our own gender stereotypes and change and our schools to become more gentle, expansive spaces for boys and girls. After all, we all spend 12 to 14 years in schools. Surely there must be time for 20 hours a year to break the trap of gendered limitations. We're all cultural creatures. Join me in breaking open the conversation around stereotyping of boys and girls in schools and changing the emotional climate in schools by stopping physical punishment, bullying, humiliation of kids in schools. Do discuss this in your home, schools, colleges, workplaces and play spaces and ask yourself and others this question. On a scale of 1 to 10, did your school contract or expand your sense of self and confidence in yourself, with one being total contraction and ten being total confidence and expansion of self? If you're a teacher or active in the education sector or care about the education sector, how would you rate the overall emotional climate in schools in which children and learning flourishes? Schools that you know. One is a negative environment and ten is a safe, loving, kind, emotional climate. And share with each other and us. In our next episode next week, we talk to one man. Come listen to the hugely popular comedian Abish Matthews as he talks about what else? What it is to be a man. Learn about the man behind the show. This is Deepa Narayan. Join me in slow conversation. Listen deeply, share your stories with others and us. Do subscribe to our channel on Hubhopper, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or wherever you are currently listening. Our website is whatsaman.com. You can reach Dr. Deepa Narayan at DeepaVOP on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center New Delhi. The opinions, findings and conclusions stated are those of What's a Man, Masculinity in India and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Our partners are Hubhopper, the Gender Lab, who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness, Chup Circles, Safe Spaces for Conversation and Youth Ki Awaaz, the largest online platform for youth voices.